Nancy Richards. As FM Literature is coming up in the second hour, what we have is we're going to be chatting in a minute to Mark Winkler, who's with me in the studio. He's written a book called Simply Wasted, or can I say wasted? It's a novel in 61,217 words, and I have to say who counted that, but it, hey, you can put pretty much anything on the, uh, on the computer. Then after that, hopefully, we'll be speaking to our reader of the day. He's Ananya Ben Israel, and he's a shop steward for the National Union of Mine Workers. So we're going to find out what he's reading, if we can get hold of him. And then in our story feature, we've got a two-part story feature. We're going to be talking to two motivational speakers, stroke writers. We're going to be chatting to Sonia Booth on her book called How to Reinvent Yourself and Stay Relevant. And also to a young man by the name of Sistentius Macobelli. And his book is called Get Out of Your Way. So I've always wondered what it is that makes a motivational speaker a motivational speaker, what their own story is. So we're going to be finding out from two of them. Uh, and uh, yes, that's what we've got coming up in the next hour. But let me just remind you once again, with Mother's Day coming up next week, what we would like from you is a couple of lines, two or three lines about your mother in uh, whatever emotional space that puts you in. Just pop us an email, but you can send it to books at safm.co.za or you can do it on Facebook, which is SAFM Literature. So there we go. That's uh, what I would like from you. Think about your mother, whether she's late or living, your feelings about your mother they can be they can be whatever you like them to be whatever your relationship with your mother is i think that would be really interesting to hear so that's what we've got lined up and uh, we're going to find out a little bit more about i promise you the conte creatives magazine details in just a minute what i do know is that the launch of is happening on the 7th of may i'm not quite sure yet where but we will let you know but if in the meantime you'd like to check out uh, what they're up to look at their website which is conte creatives dot com conte creatives.com fill you in all the rest of the information just now so let's start off with um book two we were talking earlier about um opening lines with Ntkeng Mohele and uh, the opening line from our book two which is called Wasted by Mark Winkler the opening line is simply my name is Nathan Lucius and I sleep with the light on I suppose that's two opening lines really isn't it because it's full stop in the middle <coughs> So what are we to make of that? Well, Mark Winkler is with me here in the studio, and his last book was called An Exceptionally Simple Simple Theory of Absolutely Everything. So nice to have you back with us again, Mark. Thank you very much. So, Wasted, um, neat, short, little title, uh, as is the neat, short, little opening lines. Um, this book, I think you had it finished, um, <coughs> sorry, even as you were finishing the last book. Yeah, it was pretty much finished before my last book was, was published. Well, a draft of it was, a, a readable draft of it. Where did the story come from? It came from a, <clears throat> a book I've found called Post Secret. I don't know if you've heard about Post Secret. No. It's a social experiment run by uh. an American fellow called Frank Warren. He's a sociologist. And what he did was he sent out postage paid um, postcards and asked people to anonymously share their deepest, darkest secrets with him. And as a result, he's got a website and he's published a number of books with these secrets that have come back to him, some of them exceptionally creepy, some of them harrowing, some of them outrageously funny, but all written in a very clipped, single-sentence kind mm -hmm. of way. And it made me wonder if I could create a character, a kind of composite character who spoke in that unfiltered, very clipped, very odd, very stilted way, and what would come of him if I did. So I sat down and wrote 10 or 15 pages exploring this character I called Nathan Lucius, and he got more and more interesting to me anyway. And I then stopped playing with him and sat down and started planning a story that gave answers to why yeah, he was like yeah, he was. Gosh, yeah. what an interesting, uh, what mm. an interesting uh, diving point. So, <coughs> sorry, Excuse we're both, me. both <coughs> coughing away here, yeah. but we will get through this. So, deepest, darkest secret. So that, in a way, that stilted, short, terse way of writing is what you've used, and you've used it all the way through, and it's it, it's quite fun because you, you know, they're like little clipped thoughts that he has in his mind. But the actual content, the deep, dark secrets. I mean, this the the post secret. This uh, this. Um, project that this American chap came up with, was he, was he looking for things that were creepy and awful? I mean... I, I don't think, as far as I know, I don't think he had an idea of what he would get. Yeah, if it would but be Deepest Darkest Secrets was the brief. Pretty much, yeah. 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 Do you know what he got? Give us some clues. I, he got some really terrible things. Just give me a moment. The one I remember for no good reason is 
I'm glad my father is dead, and so is he, I think. So it's to that level, yeah. and I mean, there, there are, you know, flippin', there's flippin' stuff, but there's very, very herring, exceptionally personal yeah. stuff, ranging from drug addiction to incest to admitting that this person had killed someone anonymously. So some really, really quite harrowing. Yeah, you know, quite sort of real, well, mm. I was going to say quite real stuff. Who knows? Because something well, exactly. like that, it may not be real. I mean, it, it's an opening, it's a platform, isn't it, for people mm. to pour out really nasty stuff mm. because, uh, you know, the world is made like that, isn't sure. it? There are all sorts of nasty stuff going on. So tell us a, a little bit more about Nathan, or Nate, what a character he turns out to be. Uh, just going back to the opening line thing, we were talking to Inti King earlier about opening lines. And, um, I, my name is Nathan Lucius, you mm -hmm. call Nathan Lucius, and I sleep with a light on. Uh, was that your diving diving in point? It was, actually. I had no idea when I wrote that line why that would happen, and that actually became a, a key focus of the book. And the book sets out to answer that question which it does at the end and i'm not going to say how because there's quite a few spoiler plot point alerts yeah. nothing and the the second line was it's an idea i had a long time ago that i didn't, didn't know what to do with but nathan speaks about how he collects old photographs and on the wall of his flat where he lives alone he builds these fictional family trees always with himself at the end so those two questions why he sleeps with the light on and why he creates fictional family trees for himself becomes what the book sets out to answer towards yeah. and the answer revealed at the I'm end. I'm sure there's a movie somewhere that sits in the back of my mind about somebody who has a whole wall of photographs of this woman in a, in a cellar somewhere. I can't, can't remember exactly what it's I'm all sure about. I'm sure there's lots but of them, Silence of the Lamb type things. Yes, yeah. yes, and it's extraordinary the things that people do, sort of obsessively in mm. a way, don't they? I mean, it's, is he an obsessive? There were times when I thought, what is this guy? What is his problem? <laughs> what is his sort of psychological issue? But he's not necessarily anything um, certifiable, is he? I don't think so. I, um, I think he's, you know, he set out to be social, or I set him out to be socially awkward and inept and speaks in that clipped strange voice which started actually driving his character, which started driving the way his voice evolved as well. And with the various events that happened to him, he ends up in a reasonably dark place himself because of the things he does and things that happens to him. Well, tell us a little bit about what he does. I mean, you're an ad man yourself. You're, you're creative director in an advertising yes. agency, Saatchi. Yep. That's right, MNC Saatchi. And in he, um, not a million miles for that, well, I suppose a little bit of a million miles, he's, he sells advertising space mm. uh, in a newspaper, which very Cape Town based. I mean, the, the whole book is, is unashamedly Cape Town based. Was that a decision that you made as well? It was a decision I made because I do have a daytime job that's reasonably demanding. Um, I need to, at this stage, write around places that I know because I can't afford the time to do the research. I'd rather be writing than doing the research. Mm. So setting it in Cape Town, which I know very well, was the obvious thing to do. And um, I think that Nathan, it's Cape Town through Nathan's eyes. So it's quite a dark, gritty kind of place. It's not the Cape Town of the tourist brochures. Happy, smiley Camps Bay and beautiful beaches and wonderful mountain. Nathan's beyond that. He doesn't see the attractiveness of Cape Town. He sees the, the underbelly, I think. And that's really where where he lives and how we see it reading through his eyes. Yeah. And he spends a lot of time, well, he spends a lot of time in his rather grim flat, but he also spends a lot of time at work. Just describe the milieu in which he's working. It's it's very narrow. You know, he's, he's either alone at home and he allows no one ever to go into his flat. And it's a complete tip. He's not the most hygienic fellow. He has a job selling ad sales, which is totally indifferent about it. Pays him money. He makes more money than he needs to because he doesn't know what to do with it. And he has a friend called Madge who sells antiques. She has an antique store, knows nothing about antiques. Oddly enough, Nathan does, and we only find out much later why he got such a good knowledge of antiques and design. And that's really his narrow orbit in, in the universe, as well as Eric's bar, where he goes and gets plastered quite regularly with his newspaper friends. Uh, uh, you know, as you say, there are quite a lot of opportunities for spoiling this, but I mm. uh, just do have to say there's been a great deal of controversy about whether or not people should be uh, allowed assisted suicide, yes. uh, you know, <coughs> without giving anything away. What's your take on that? And is that something where you did do a bit of research, that sort of area of people dying? On I, d I did a superficial research mm. on it. Um, I think, again, there was, and I don't remember the exact source, but I came across a review of a 
book written by a hospice nurse who uh, based her book around the five biggest regrets of dying people and what they what they wished they'd done. And one of them was work less, you know, and spend more time with the family. They kind of expected mm. things. But again, you know, when you hear this from a, a, a valid source, like a dying person, you've, you've got to kind of believe it. So there was a bit of that. And uh, I will, I'll be reading a bit about Madge later. So I don't think that's really a, a, yeah. a spoiler. It's just a, a turning point in the book where, which really sets Nathan off down the path towards yeah. the end of the book. Yeah. Well, read it. Read us a little piece because I think it's it's always interesting to hear the words of a book read in the in the tone of voice that the the author intended it. Because I'm sure as you're writing these things, you know, the words are sort of running, running in your head as a sort of a spoken word, given there is quite a lot of dialogue as well. So, read us your piece. Yes, it's a bit like being tone deaf, where you can imagine a tune in your head, but it's very difficult to get it off. Yes, so yes, yes. bear with me. Um, it, just to set up the situation, um, Nathan is visiting Madge at her antique shop after he's been forced to work through the night, which is typical in the industry, I think. And he's popped in to see on the on the way home. Madge has cancer. She knows she's dying. And she's very simply unable to. So she speaks to Nathan and she says, I've had a life that's been amazing, both for the experiences I've had and because of its ordinariness, Madge says. I'm not liking the past tense. My cup is a network of fine cracks on it. I wonder why the tea doesn't leak through them. And now I've had enough. I look up at her and she's smiling. It's the kind of smile you have when you've arrived in an almighty brilliant solution to a problem, like deciding to consolidate your debt, or to buy a house, or to get married. I've never had to do any of those things, I'm just saying. The trouble is I can't, Madge says. I blink, the all-night is getting to me, I'm not following. I can't die, Nathan, she sips her tea and smiles. I'm sicker than Jesus on the cross and every day I get sicker. There's no self-pity, just fact. I've stopped taking the drugs and seeing the doctor. Every day the pain is worse. I understand why cancer is a crab. It's got claws, and every day it tears more pieces out of me. Just little bits. Just enough to increase the pain and the humiliation. Not quite enough to finish me off. She puts her tea down. She stands up and presents her profile to me. She smacks the top of her butt with her hand. Do you think my bum looks big enough, she says. Again, I'm lost. Madge has never had a big bum. She laughs. She pats herself again. Inconstant snickers, Nate. There's nothing about my body I can trust anymore. Look. She points an antique chamber pot under a rocking chair. I'd never noticed it. There are a lot of things in her shop I've never noticed before. NFS, she says, not for sale. Strictly FMP, for my puke. Because when I need to, there's no time to run for the john. Not fun when you're in the salad aisle at Woolworths. She sits down. And when I get home, I take off my happy clothes. And she picks at her cerise sleeves and the packet cloth flowers on the bodice. I peel off my giant adult nappy. Not sure what I'll find in there. She lifts her cup and puts it down again. She looks hard at me. If it's full, I lie on my back on the floor with a plastic bowl of soapy water next to me. Then I raise my legs like a baby and wash myself. Sometimes I miss a few spots. She takes a tissue from her wet strap. She hands it to me. It's still wet with her drool. I don't care. The crab is here, she says, and puts her hand on her abdomen. And here. She moves her hand to cover her liver. She moves it to the left. Here. She places her hand on one breast and then the other. Here and here. She puts two fingers on her temple. Soon it will be here, and still I can't die. I very much want to die before it gets here. She taps the fingers against her skull. She drops her hand to her lap. I look at her. She's never spoken of her cancer like this. I haven't slept for almost 30 hours. It's not helping me in any way at all. My bitching about working through the night comes back. There's nothing like a bit of perspective to make you blush. Madge doesn't notice. So, she says, I'd like you to help me. She drains her teacup. What do you want me to do, I ask. Kill me, Nate, she says. Kill me. She puts, me, she puts down her cup, looks at me. Her eyes are flat and cold as a seagull's. You love me, don't you? Yes, I just read that. That is really quite a sort of a, a moving piece. And the thing about Nathan is that he's, um, he obviously has, a, when I say a way with women, he, he's obviously quite appealing, uh, and yet he seems so, so unattractive. I mean, the, the ghastliness of his flat... Do you like him? Is he a chap that you can relate to? Or what's going on with you and Nathan? A friend of mine who read the book described Nathan as being a, like a road accident. You don't want to look, but you can't help yourself. And he's that kind of character, you know. He's got endearing bits, which are really appealing. And I think you feel a bit of empathy for him, quite a lot of empathy in some cases. And then he's also got this repulsiveness where he's like really quite creepy and physically dirty most of the time and unappealing. But I think it... it 
I hope that it swings towards empathy on the part of the reader rather yeah. than total revulsion. I think what it does do is that it's very indicative of how people have the, they have the, um, their happy face, they have what they put on, the mask, whatever you like mm. to call it, you know, how, how they dress, how they uh, present. But in fact, there's very often all sorts of other stuff going on behind and it, the short clipped you know dark thoughts that are behind the reality do, do you think that that's something i mean is it something you recognize in a lot of people that we all do it i think so i mean i think nathan mentions that he has what he calls a library of faces and he puts on the correct face for that social occasion so he's not very spontaneous he's learned to react to situations by how other people react and thematically i mean one of the one of the themes of the book is the secret thing you know what dangerous secrets can do when they they're kept for the wrong reasons and I think a lot of us do that you know, I think everyone we meet has a, a secret has a story that they has a battle that they're fighting that we know nothing about talking of fighting battles I think it was something of a battle well I don't know that necessarily that it was a battle but I know that it took quite a long time to get this actually published I think you you had the book talk us through that journey mm, I think that when when works not commissioned by a publisher and even if they like it, which my publisher did, they need to squeeze it into a very tight uh, publication calendar. So it took a good 18 months actually to see the light of day, you know, once we've been through the editing process and all that. But from the time that it was accepted, it was almost 18 months to publication date. The publication industry, I think, is still a little Dickensian, moves very slowly. But there are things that authors need to respect as well, and that, that is publication calendars and you know what the other guys yeah. got on their books yeah and then of course there's the issue of selling it and in your latest blogs your blog um latest blog you talk about actually sort of creeping into a, a bookshop and having a look around and seeing who's who's there and have they bought your book and you know if you'd found it i got the feeling that you'd probably sort of move it up a notch and how how was that process um it's a bit of a nathan move i think yes. creeping around <laughs> bookshops and stalking your own book uh, I'd like to think other authors do it as well, go and pop down to the local bookshop to see if it's stocked and hard selling. Uh, my wife is guilty of, with my first book, having snuck into exclusives and dug it out of the pit called the African Literature Section and gone and arranged on the front pile. Um, I do think that local authors get not enough support from especially the chains i think the independents do very nicely to support local authors and the guys who really need the money like jeffrey archer get all the glory yeah. you know up front and we get squirreled into this weird place called the african literature section where it, which is a strange destination because i think it's fine if you're a tourist and you're looking for local flavor of stuff but the genres are so very different you know you've got anyone from jm kutsia to lauren birkus to page nick three very different writers there being lumped together on the same shelves where I would imagine that people tend to shop by way of genre and what they're interested in. Yeah. And as an ad man, do you, have you done or did you do with either this book or the, or the previous book, do you do any work on what you think people might be interested in? Or once you've got your, your you know, the bit between your teeth with, it, with your book, you just keep on writing it and hope to heaven that people are going to like it. Mm, I'm a little selfish like that. It's pretty much what I think I'd be interested in and hope that other people will be interested in it. About 10 or 15 years ago, I got hold of the Mills and Boone formula and tried to write to that because apparently you make a lot of money, but I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. Mills and Boone wasted isn't. I think no. that's, that would be the way to say it. Absolutely. <laughs> Lovely, Mark Winkler, thank you very much. Wasted, it's a novel in six, 61,270 words. Why do we need to know that? It's a Nathanism. It's a kind of yes. irrelevant observation that he would make yes. about something in the middle of a sentence. Yes, yeah. and does he ever make some observations and does he ever have some, some thoughts that are definitely um, fascinating and not usual. Lovely. Mark Winkler, thank you very much. Nancy, thank you very Take much. Take care. Mark's book, once again, it's called Wasted and it's published, incidentally, by Quella. Well, in a minute, we're going to be hearing uh, from our bookshelf reader what he's reading, so stay tuned. <laughs> 
You're listening to SFM Literature, and uh, interesting there, I just asked Mark Winkler if he had another book up his sleeve, and he said, yes, absolutely, it's terrible, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, so I'm sure he's going to make a plan and get it all together. It's so interesting. It is just so interesting to hear how novelists actually manage to write books, and I am lost on a, on a weekly basis in admiration as to how people actually write books. Also absolutely fascinated by what it is that makes uh, motivational speakers motivate, as it were, and we're going to be hearing the stories of two motivational speakers in just a minute. But before we do that, we've got ourselves a bookshelf reader today, and he's Ananya Ben Israel, and he's a, a shop steward for the National Union of Mine Workers. Well, we've got him on the line to tell us what he's reading. Hi there, Ananya. Hello, hello. Good day, good day, Mrs. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Thank you very much I'm, for doing this. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me in your program. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Tell me, are you, there's a little bit of a feedback. You haven't got your radio on, have you? No, oh, no, okay. not, 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 not here. Okay, well, we'll try and ride the feedback. Okay. Uh, tell me, are you a big reader? Do you do a lot of reading? Uh, whenever I can, yes, I think I am. Okay, what are you, what are you reading at the moment? At the moment, I am reading um, a book called Everlasting Life. In fact, it's not the first time that I'm going through it. And it's, it's what I uh, will be uh, sharing, you know, uh, with you and on your program. It's called Everlasting Life. Everlasting Life, yes, from thought to reality. Okay. And it's by whom? It is written by um, a man called Ben Amin. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, he's a spiritual leader of um, the African-Hebrew-Israelite community of Jerusalem. Okay. Of which you are also a member? Yes, yes, I happen to be a member as well, yes. Okay. Do you, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about that movement? Oh, the, the African Hebrew Israelites, that is it? Yes. Okay. Uh, the African Hebrew Israelites are the remnant of the biblical Israelites. Uh, the, the, the people that you hear spoken of in the, in the Bible from uh, the patriarch Abraham, or Abraham, you know, uh, and his sons. Uh, up to um, the last one, which uh, um, we know uh, today as being called Jesus, whose uh, real uh, Hebrew name was Yeshua. So we are the, 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 the descendants. We are descending from those people, or should I say ascending from those people. Okay. And have you, have you converted, or were you always um, an African-Hebrew Israelite? Okay, uh, you will understand that, you know, throughout the scriptures, in many verses, you will you hear of the, 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 um, the, uh, um, the name of Israel going into, um, uh, going, becoming obscure, you know, uh, uh, meaning that, you know, the, 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 the history and, and the culture of Israel at some point in time, you know, got lost. So uh, it is not for me and for us, you know, uh, a conversion, but rather uh, we have found ourselves uh, again, you know. Uh, um, we happen to have, you know, uh, lost uh, touch with our uh, being and our reality, historically so, but through our research, you know, and some spiritual, you know, um, uh, revelation, we happen to find ourselves again. So. Uh, I have always been a Hebrew Israelite uh, for some time, not uh, to practice, you know, uh, but o o only by birth. But now what makes, makes it different is that I am a, a Hebrew Israelite, you know, by birth and by practice, which means culturally. Is it a, a very big movement? Are there very many members of the African Hebrew Israelites? Yes, uh, it, it is. It is a big movement. Uh, um, we are all over, you know, the the the, the, the continent. Uh, our spiritual uh, uh, center is in Israel, you know, uh, prophetically so, mm -hmm. and we are found uh, all over the place, you know, in all the six continents, you know, uh, in all the, um, uh, the, the 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 places, the, the continent of the of, of the. Okay. I'm just thinking maybe the, the title of the book that you're going to tell us about, Everlasting Life, feels like a, a, maybe a clue to the philosophy, the thinking. Just explain the, the, the book. All right. Um, and maybe why I, 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 I thought of, of, of sharing this one, because 
you know, whenever you hear talk about everlasting life, it is always in some um, uh, religious mysticism, uh, something that is to happen in the by and by, you know, beyond the life on earth. But, you know, uh, the author of this book uh, takes, you know, everlasting life, you know, down from the sky and into, uh, I would say, into our living rooms, into our kitchens, into our bedrooms, into our offices at work, into our playgrounds. So everlasting life, uh, the author shares with us, you know, uh, a topic that uh, you would think that everyone, you know, should be interested in because... um, it is not, uh, it, it, for example, if you were to talk about technology, not everybody would be interested in that. You know, if you were to talk about some kind of other kind of science, not everybody would be interested in that. But uh, having and living a good life is everyone's interest. So uh, he brings this topic back into 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 uh, uh, um, the realm of discussion and the realm of uh, uh, being understood, not the, uh, as, as some kind of a myth, or a religious dogma, but something that is uh, practically um, uh, achievable, you know, through your, your, your day-to-day uh, hearing, uh, which is acquisition of knowledge, um, the practice of that knowledge, and the resultant, you know, uh, 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 um, uh, destiny, you know, from applying what we have learned. So everlasting life is um, an exegesis of how man connects with the uh, godly knowledge, you know, not in, not in the realm of uh, uh, mysticism, but from what gets into your mind through hearing, through reading, uh, through, through what you uh, eat, you know, uh, 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 in, in the morning or during your, 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 your meal interval, to the conversations that you partake in, to... Uh, the, the practices, you know, that you partake on or you, 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 you um, take on on a daily basis. So he removes the myth about everlasting life because uh, everybody, when you hear about everlasting life, everybody thinks about dying and then uh, achieving everlasting life. But he takes away the death part, you know, uh, when I'm talking about the death, the death part, I'm meaning being disconnected and going into the grave and waking up, you know, thereafter. Everlasting life is something that is achievable whilst you are here on earth. Um, uh, to make an example, the cells, the, the body of man is made out of cells, you know, uh, 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 millions, if not billions of cells. Now, these cells, naturally, they are designed such that they die in their, in their, in their millions every day, but they should be replenished. If you know how to, um, how to feed yourself, you know, uh, mm. mentally, if you know how to feed yourself, you know, uh, through food that is nutritious and things like that. So, um, uh, everlasting life, you know, uh, as opposed to what one thinks when you hear the term everlasting life, it is something that has got to do with our daily life. Your acquisition, mm. your, uh, your uh, being able to live uh, life everlastingly, it's not a religious myth. It is something that has got to do with how we live our lives, you yeah. know, culturally, mm-hmm. philosophically, you know, and otherwise. Yes, a sort of yes. D- d- teaching book, as I understand it. And Anya, just lastly, is it a contemporary, when I say is it a contemporary book, is it a recent book? Has it been written recently or is it a very old book? No, it, it, it goes back, I think it was written in 1994 or 1996. So okay. it's been around for, 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 for a while, mm. you know. It, it's not a new book, but it's just that, you know, like you were saying, there is this term contemporary which um, would also relate to what is common, you know, because um, most of the time, uh, the, the, the things that sell, the things that, you know, um, arouse interest in people are the things that, you know, um, get uh, marketed, you know, by the people that run business. So. Uh, even, you know, in this book, you know, uh, uh, the, the author, which has been, um, touches upon the role that, you know, uh, 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 commerce and economics play in us being able or dis, uh, being disabled, you know, in, in, in even thinking yeah. of you know, pursuing a, a everlasting okay. life. Because most of our practices are not practices that are pro-life, are not practices that, you know, uh, cause us to live healthy, you know, fulfilling lives, you know. And it's all because, uh, uh, in part, of 
how the, the, the economics of the world have moved from being pro-life to being about, you know, a profit, yeah. you know, and, and, and everything that has got to do. Okay. And then you're going to leave it at that, but thank you. It's certainly something to think about. Thank you very much, and thanks for sharing. Thanks hey, a lot. Thanks, thanks for having me on your show. It's thanks a pleasure. A lot. Ananya Ben Israel, or the book he's been talking about, how interesting, uh, and he is indeed an African Hebrew Israelite. It's called Everlasting Life from Thought to Reality, and it's by Ben Ami. Everlasting Life from Thought to Reality by Ben Ami. And don't forget if there's a book that you'd like to tell us about, right now is the time to do it. You can send us an email, books at safm.co.za, and give us your contact details and give us a, a bit of an indication of why you think it's a good book so we know where, you, where you're coming from. Books at safm.co.za. We are all where we are because we came from somewhere. Migration is as old as humankind. Therefore, you are, we are, and I am migrant too. Africa, Let's unite and embrace the diversity within our communities. Violence is not the answer. Acceptance will teach us understanding, harmony, and kindness. Ubuntu has no borders. So say no to xenophobia and be an advocate for peace. Show your support for the Xenophobia Response Initiative by the SABC and the International Organization for Migration by making a donation. SMS anti-Zeno to 36727. SMSs cost 5 rand. Well, next up here on SAFM Literature, is, this is our story time. And today in our story feature, we're looking at the stories of two motivational author-speakers. Because don't you often wonder what makes a person motivate others, what their own story is, how they come to be doing what they're doing? Well, sometimes they reveal it in their book uh, as a sort of raison d'etre, and I think we're going to hear that from our two speakers. So we're going to give the, both of them a chance to tell us all about themselves and where they came from here. In a minute, we're going to be talking to a young man by the name of Sustentius Macubele, and he's written a book called Get Out of Your Way, which kind of uh, tells you where he's coming from. But before we do that, we're going to be talking to Sonia Booth, who is the author of a book called How to Reinvent Yourself and Stay Relevant. And I think she's in our Joburg studio. Hi, Sonia. Uh, hi, Nancy. How are you? They're very well. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming and joining us. Yeah, thank you for having us. So, yeah. Sonia, before we get stuck into your book, tell us a little bit about you. How come you got to be writing this book? I see in your author's note you majored in marketing and business management, but you also say that branding fascinates you, so that's a bit of a clue. Uh, tell us a story. Tell us about you. Sure. Sonia is a very ambitious woman. Uh, first of all, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm also a philanthropist with the type of work that myself and my husband do as trustees and directors of the Booth Education and Sports Trust. And um, actually to mention that 10% of the proceeds from the book sales will be going to the trust, which is an NPO, public benefit organization. Okay, that's jolly nice to hear. Tell, I mean, we know about a little bit about the your football playing husband, but the Booth Foundation. Tell us more about what you do. I I, I do know you do a lot of things. We do uh, spelling bee tournaments, book clubs. Uh, we focus on uh, primary school because that is absolutely the the foundational phase um, of the schooling career of a, a girl or boy's child. Um, and then we also, my husband, obviously being a, a former football player, former professional player, uh, we he does. Uh, football coaching clinics and we do mentorship programs as well spelling bees uh, book clubs for children it's uh, books and reading and writing something that's very close to, to your heart personally um, it's always been um, hmm. I, I, I attended uh, schools in Soweto where you know you, you would be halfway through reading a book and pages would be missing some of the pages would be burned and th th that is frustrating I mean you can imagine if you were to start reading a book and then halfway through find out that there are pages yeah. missing because the, the libraries were ill-equipped um, um, and, and I mean it, 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 it was always just um, annoying and uh, I was always the type of girl that enjoyed reading and um, you know at times I would go to the the library and that's always been a passion of mine uh, because um, you, I've always um, you know lived with the notion that rather busy than fascinating and also just to stay out of trouble yeah. when I was a kid now there's the truth was there anybody sort of fostering this interest in you I mean anybody at school your folks was anybody sort of saying yes here's more books feeding you with with stuff or was it very much a sort of a self 
my my aunt uh, from my mom's side, Catherine Bulle, um I'm not sure if she is listening, but she she used to love all these um, you know like romantic uh, uh, books, which I never really you could relate to as a, as, as a youngster because um, you know that they were so thick. Uh, but one thing that she took pride in was her bookcase, which which was just filled with one particular um, author. Um, I think that surname was Steele. Um, Danielle Steele. Uh, yes, I mean okay. I, I was young, uh, but you know that name always rings a bell. Uh, my late uncle uh, Metcalf Letzati uh, Pule um, also read newspapers every single day. I mean at home, um, if the channel was not um, the TV was not on the news channel, um, it would be on on educational programs, um, and you were sort of like forced to read a newspaper because he was always the type of uncle that wanted to have meaningful, profound conversations. Um, you would not want to do small talk with him because he would not be, you know, he would yeah. not avail himself for that. Gosh, it's quite a little bit of a pressure, deep and meaningful, <laughs> as my son would say. But it's, you know, it's a long way from reading and having deep, meaningful conversations to writing a book. What was the trigger point that took you to writing a book? Interestingly enough, I mean, I, I was um, um, a fashion model for eight years. I, I was a professional fa uh, fashion model for eight years, traveled the world, um, and studying a degree had always been something that I knew I was going to have to do at some point in my life. And so I did modeling for eight years, but I've always known that I was going to go back into the lecture room and study for my degree full time because I'm not disciplined for uh, long distance or online um, uh, courses. Yeah. So I, I went back after traveling the world and living this glitzy, glamorous life uh, as a fashion model you know traveling uh, doing fashion shows all over uh, the world um, and then now deciding to you know go back and do my degree full-time um, and thereafter you look at your life and you're like okay well I've, I've achieved this I've achieved that um, and then now what's what's the next thing that you would like to set you know as a goal for yourself because I've always been uh, an achiever I've always been an ambitious person I, I've never ever wanted to get to a point where I'm so comfortable and then I get I never I always have the fear that uh, I don't I don't want to get complacent I don't want to get to a point where I'm like I've arrived uh, because I think and I believe there's so much to learn um, and, and the journey uh, of learning should be a continuous um, effort yeah. um, so I, I looked and you know ha having a love for personal branding and, and ha after having majored in, in, in marketing um, and business management um, I thought you know what let me let me just um, see if I can pen this uh, and, and draft this book together because the title um, had been with me ever since I was studying for my marketing degree and obviously one of the majors was personal branding and that's how the book came about. Hmm. You know there are a lot of people who would say but you've arrived I mean not only have you arrived <laughs> you've sort of excelled so what is there a goal? Um, yeah you know uh, <laughs> I, I mean the clue I suppose is in the title isn't it how to reinvent yourself stay relevant is that your goal is that is that what Sonia wants to do? Absolutely. And I mean, for me, it's not necessarily about staying relevant. It's just about, you know, having this deep, uh, seated fear that I never ever want to get comfortable. Mm. I mean, mm. you, 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 people tend to get arrogant and think that they, you know, uh, the industry is nothing without, without them and that they are irreplaceable. I've, I've I've always been the opposite of that, um, believe it or not. Um, I, I've always wanted to challenge myself. I set myself goals, and now that I've written this book, I've, I've just about completed the second book, and I'm not going to stop um, until I've written perhaps uh, 40 books by the time I'm 40. Believe sure. it. Sure, that's a goal. <laughs> Goodness me. So uh, just whilst we're on it, how to reinvent yourself and stay relevant.com. Quite literally, you've got a website, how to reinvent yourself and stay relevant.com. Just talk us through the, the thinking behind it. I mean, looking at the chapter heads here, the art of reinvention changes the only constant personal branding. And it's filled with people that you admire, the names of people that you admire. I mean, the Beckhams, not least, uh, Kanye Glomo, all sorts of people, Basadzana Kamalo, all sorts of people who, who for you are role models. I mean, and yet, you know, for you, I mean, there'll be a lot of people for whom you are a role model. You know, is role modelship something that you personally want to do? Sure. You know, the minute you package yourself like that, you, you, you automatically are putting a lot of pressure on yourself because to be a role model, it means you have to live such a life that people perceive um, to be a person who can never ever make mistakes, uh, a person who who has to be perfect, um, which which can, um, you know, be a, 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 what, what can I say, not a burden per se, uh, but 
it, it will be a lot for people to look up to. Um, so not a role model per se, uh, but I'd like for the youngsters um, to, to look at me and see a very ambitious woman who's working very hard, who's not depending on her husband, who's not waiting for her husband to, to, to give me money to go and do my hair and do pedicures and spend the whole day at the spa type of thing. Um, but I'm, 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 I've always known that I'm, I, I want to push what I call my hustle um, so that even my husband when he looks at me he knows that he's married the type of woman should things not go according to plan from his side in terms of his career and what he's um, trying to achieve um, from after retiring from football onwards he knows that I can keep it together you know I, I can I can protect the family I can help look after the family and and you know put the bacon on the table if you know what I mean yeah even if it means reinventing yourself again and again and again absolutely there's always a message there's always a sort of core message behind well it, it seems to me that there's always a core message behind a book if you had to points from your book that w you would help people to reinvent themselves and stay relevant what would they be remember that um, you know we, we focus so much on um, on success but not uh, too much on a life of significance um, you know pe a lot of people just live for the sake of living a lot of people push their hustle and go to work and uh, earn their salary and that's it they 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 they're not living uh, a legacy which is actually uh, my last chapter uh, living a legacy yeah. aspire to inspire before you expire and you, you know it, it, you, you can live for yourself and your family Family, but, um, but that's not enough. Um, the people that I mentioned in, in my book, particularly on that chapter, your, uh, the late uh, Princess Diana, your Grassa Michelle, mm -hmm. um, you know, th those are the type of people that you look at, you, you know, all the profound contributions that they've made industry and how that is helping them to remain relevant. I mean, I'm, I'm, and that's not to say that Mama Grassa Michelle, for example, um, is a philanthropist looking for, for attention, looking for people to be writing good things about her and, you know, uh, leaving a legacy in that way. But we will carry on talking about her because of the good deed and the good word, the message and the, everything that she does for others, living for others and not just for herself and her family. So ultimately, you, yes, we all want success. We, we, we all want uh, prosper, prosperity and good health. But ultimately, you know, what do you stand for? Um, what legacy are you going to live? Mm. What are people going to be saying um, when they attend your funeral? I mean, I know it sounds, it sounds uh, dark and gloomy for me to be saying that. But I mean, when you die, are people going to miss you? Well, there's a question. Sonia Booth, I'm sure you will be much missed, but there's not, no way that that's happening anytime soon because you're going to reinvent and reinvent and stay relevant. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you very much. Likewise. Nancy. And I think if anybody wants to get hold of the, your book, probably best to have a look at your website. Absolutely. And um, get it through there. Yes, and then also the um, um, e-books e e and Kindle uh, via Amazon, iTunes, Kindle, uh, uh, Kobo and uh, BN. Okay, so no ways that you can't get hold of it. Sonia Booth, blessings. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Nancy. You take care. Lovely. How to reinvent yourself and stay relevant by Sonia Booth with a forward by Raymond Aaron. And uh, once again, the website is how to reinvent yourself and stay relevant.com. But Amazon, Kindle, all the other usual ways of getting hold of an ebook, you can do that. Well, we have another motivational person in the studio in Johannesburg. He is, uh, he's written a book called Get Out of Your Way. He's Sistentius Machiavelli, and uh, I think he's right there too. Hi, Sistentius. Hi, how are you? Excellent, thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about you. Were you listening to what Sonia had to say? I was listening. I'm very inspired. Yeah, yeah it's, it was fascinating, isn't it? I always think it's so interesting to hear where people have come from. Tell us a little bit about Sistentius. Where have you come from? What's your background? Sestinius Mokwele is a young man from the north, born, bred, and battered there, uh, attended school and then had an opportunity to study horticulture in TUD. Went there for four years. After four years, I discovered that my heart is no longer in horticulture, and I had to explain that to my parents, that, you know what, I'm leaving this course that you paid for, that you supported me studying. I'm going to motivation. Uh, they were mad at me, but uh, ultimately they understood uh, I grew up having a low self-esteem. I was teased mm. for how I look and, and all those things. So I, I struggled with that for over 20 years and now I became a motivational speaker and the message I carry is to go around and tell people that, you know what, it doesn't matter what you look like. You, you are somebody, you've got something special. So I, I use my story to go talk to people and help them accept themselves for who they are. 
I'm looking at the picture on the back of the book and I, I read it with, with interest that you were teased because of the way you look and I thought, so what's wrong with that? I'm just thinking. <laughs> um, but it, it, maybe it wasn't just the way you look. Were you, did you feel a little bit different? Because you were bullied, you were teased. Yeah, when, 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 when these things happen, they force you to, to look at yourself as and think that maybe you are different because they used to say, if your lips are too big, your, 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 your teeth are very funny. And the more these things were said, you know, the, I, I kind of believed it because there was no one telling me otherwise. So I hear the same thing over and over and again, over and over again. And then there was no one telling me otherwise. I was a kid that didn't know any better. So I believed it. Just moving on then to the horticultural uh, studies, was it that you weren't enjoying the horticultural studies or did you not see yourself in that role? Well, honestly speaking, when I, when I, I didn't want to do horticulture, I wanted to mm. do information technology, but they said, I don't, you, Chief, you don't qualify. And then they, now I had stayed a year at home. I didn't want to stay for another year. So I decided, you know, let me pick a course. I just want to get out of this place go to study so I took horticulture and went there to study. It's funny isn't it you know sometimes I mean it is often said that it doesn't matter what you study it's always going to be useful at some stage along the line but but if you're doing something that you really don't like it does feel like a waste of time however I'm just looking at your chapter 10 in your book um, horticulture seems to have stayed in your mind a little bit because the chapter is called like people like seeds and you describe how a person is a little bit like a seed just explain that. A, a seed it's a little plant, it's got a covering called the seed coat, and it, it usually has food in it to help it grow. Same thing with a human being. You are a spirit, you have a body, you live in a body and you have a soul. So for, for the seed to grow, it needs to be watered, it needs to be fed, it needs the right environment. So if, if, if all of that is not there, the seed can, you can have the best seed in the world you can have the best soil, the growth medium in the world, but if the environment is not right, the, 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 the seed is going to have a problem growing. It's the same thing with a human being. You can have all the potential you, 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 have, you can have, but if the environment that you are exposed to as you grow up is not, is not right, there's going to be a challenge. So you might not make, uh, make it, you might not be the best that you, you ever, you were destined to be because the environment what, what the environment does to a plant is that it either suppresses the growth or it encourages it. So if, as people, we grow up under a bad environment, it's going to suppress our potential. If we are exposed to a good environment, it, it helps us to grow. So people are like that as well. Yeah, but it is the one thing that it's very difficult to do anything about. I mean, if you're in, if you're in a sort of a, a, a not a very fertile environment and things are pretty difficult, how do you remove yourself from that? Because that's one of the things that, over which you have really no control. It's, it's tough when you're a kid because you can't remove yourself. Mm. You are there with your parents, but as you grow older, you get to choose your friends, the people you hang around with, the things you read, the things you watch. And, and the places you go to by by doing that you are able even though you cannot control what's happening on the you can't control the kind of music your neighbor plays but you can control what you entertain in your mind so when you are an, as an adult you can do that how do you do it i mean who is you know with your book get out of your way i'm, I'm assuming it's sort of like get out of your own way who is your constituency who are you talking to other other young people who've had difficult starts Yes, uh, since publishing the book, I've met a lot of young people, even old people who are struggling with self-esteem. And mm. I, I've spoken to them and I've realized that, you know, they wear suits, they smile and all of that, but inside they are battling. So I've, I've spoken to them. I'm also speaking to, to young people. We go doing seminars all over this country, trying to speak. So we're speaking mostly to the young people because they hear me you know sometimes i was speaking to this other old man he was looking at me and say i hear you but you are still too young but uh, yeah there are old people i i talk to but my constituencies my, my constituencies young people yeah we're talking to sustenius is that how you pronounce it sustenius machiavelli yes and his book is called get out of your way we'll be back just now
Get Out of Your Way is the message of Sustinius Machiavelli in his book. Sustinius, you know, there, there's so many messages in your book, but I'm just looking at chapter five where you talk about standing up for truth and justice, and you talk about your first job and all the subsequent rather sort of uh, not, not very exciting jobs that you have along the way, but you say, I'm grateful for all the experience I've picked up from all the jobs I've done. It seems to me that the, the core of your message is all about just hanging in and making the very best. But ex expand on that, with your core message. Yes, I, uh, I worked uh, with a lot of people and I've realized that, you know, I've, I've been taken advantage of most of the time. I've worked with farm people, I've worked with professionals, and I realized that they, they are being taken advantage of but they, they, they are not in a position to say anything because if they try to speak out, they are victimized uh, so I, I was exposed to these things I was, I was taken advantage of myself and then now looking back I realized that you know what, all these things are continuing because no one is saying anything, so we need to, to stand up and say you know what this is the truth okay this cannot be done like this, this cannot be done like this. Because if we keep quiet, that's all tyranny needs to to advance. So we need to stand up there and say, and, and when I'm talking about standing up for the truth, I'm not talking about issues that are out there that they get media play every day. They are, mm -hmm. you know, smaller issues. The treatment of people because they speak a different language or they look different and all those things. Those are the things we must engage on, speak about and say, this is not right. This can't be done like this. We can't live in a society like this. So we need to, someone has to stand up and speak up. When you talk to people, because aside from your book, you do give talks, what is, what is it that people most respond to, do you think? Do you tell your own story? Do you use yourself as a sort of an example? Yes, I, I, I tell my own story that I grew up, even though people were making fun of me and all of that, after a while I realized that, you know what, if there's one person who was on my way, if there's one person who was blocking me, it was not all those people who were saying all those things they were saying, because sometimes what kills us, it's not what people say, it's what we absorb from what they, from what they say. So I had to come to a point where, you know, I, I had to say, you know what, my problems are my problems. There might be people contributing and all these things, but I have to take responsibility and then say, this is my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the life I want to live. I, If I can fix myself, if I can be at peace with myself, then nothing can stop me because what they, say, what they, what they said affected me most because personally I was not at peace with myself. So they were just adding to the burden that was there. Mm -hmm. Two questions very, very briefly. Are you at peace with yourself now and what's your goal? I'm at peace with myself. My goal is to inspire people and help them believe in themselves and know that no matter what, they are, they are the best they can be. Well, in that case, let me give out the details of uh, probably the best way to get hold of your book is also through your website. Yes. Would that be right? Yes, that's Which, which is? www.sesteniasmakwere.co.za Okay, I'm going to read it out again at the end of the show, but Sestenias, well done. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, make sure you, you keep your way clear and, uh, and absolutely as, it, as you want it to be. Thank you very much. Thank Take you care. www.sesteniasmakwere.co.za www.sesteniasmakwere.co.za Dot today. And I'll be giving all the details of all the books that we've spoken about once again at the end of the show.